and welcome to The Weekly. I'm Stuart Christensen, the writer and editor. Every Tuesday, our podcast hopes to provide you with the information of the world. Today, an overview of current events and an interview with Mr. Zollestein. A story that has not seen much attention despite its potentially significant impact is the state of the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. While different sources declare that his state of health varies widely, it is no doubt that something isn't right. China recently sent in medical experts to North Korea, presumably to help Kim Jong-un. Nevertheless, from what we can tell, he is either in a deep vegetative state or is recovering from a successful surgery. We will never know. Perhaps a bigger question than whether the leader is stable is what will happen if he dies? The North Koreans have not been transparent about the line of succession, but it is apparent that his sister would take over Kim Jong-un. Although a smooth transfer of power is probable, it could end up having a large impact on geopolitics, benefiting either China or the West. Next up is the elephant that seems to be creeping ever so slowly out of the room. Coronavirus has ravaged many regions across our country, but is now showing signs of subsiding. States in the South are beginning to reopen with much controversy. The South has not yet seen very widespread outbreaks thus far, making it a question as to if their outbreak hasn't even begun yet. The governor of Georgia reopened his state early enough that President Trump told him to slow down. Opening up some of the Southern states could be a massive mistake as the South lacks many of the healthcare systems than found in the North. Although some of the states are not making the best choices in reopening, some are. Vermont, for example, is allowing five or less workers at an office with social distancing measures, as well as 10 or less construction workers on a construction site. Vermont is in a better place to begin opening as they have seen a large decline in cases. Just as low as two cases have been reported in Vermont on some days this past week, displaying a flattening of the curve. States such as Massachusetts and Illinois are still seeing a steady rise and their governors are paying attention by not lifting shelter-in-place orders. Other metro areas, such as Denver and D.C., are seeing a stabilization of new cases rather than a decline as well. The president had a crazy week in his daily press conferences. One of the highlights was him telling the press about bleach injection to stop the coronavirus, a crazy remark that makes very little sense. Despite the lack of sense in Trump's claim, disinfectant sales spiked. Dr. Birx later went to the podium to attempt to rationalize the president's claim, possibly showing a little more loyalty to Trump than Dr. Fauci shows. France, Spain, and Italy, countries which have seemed to be the hardest hit in Europe, are beginning to reopen their economies. Germany, who has been on top of the disease through a ludicrous amount of testing, is beginning to open their economy as well. The German numbers simply speak for themselves. A total of 159,239 cases, 6,177 deaths, a staggering 110,041 recoveries, and only 43,021 active cases left. In a not-so-welcome surprise, oil prices went below $0 per barrel last week, showing just how bad the economic situation has become. On a positive note, the Dow opened over 300 points above Monday's closing. Although the markets have remained fairly flat over the day, 
While we may see a recovery in the economy, it might be gradual and it might take a long time. And now for our interview with Mr. Zalvastani. Hello. Hello, Stuart. Uh, how are you doing, Mr. Zalstani? I'm, I'm doing quite well. How are you? I'm doing quite well as well. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about how do you see this, um, this whole thing turning out? Well, um, <laughs> I, I think it's important to define what you mean by ending. Um, you know, uh, the great financial crisis, um, the real question is, did it ever end? Uh, the economic situation improved, but if you think about what was used to um, stimulate the economy, um, those measures were were really, we, we weren't quite finished unwinding them before this whole um, COVID-19 uh, pandemic started. Um, you know, the, the tremors of the final unwind of the great financial crisis were felt in December of 2018 uh, as the Fed started raising rates and also um, last August when um, they started unwinding some of the bond purchases and, and talked about uh, raising rates. So um, again, end is, end, is a, end is a funny question, but I can, I can try and give you a sense of how I think it plays out. Right. So, so do you um, sort of a follow up? Um, do you see this um, financial crisis having larger ramifications than the, um, than the financial crisis in 2008? Well, they're, they're, they're two different, uh, they're two different things. I, I really see what we're facing right now, first and foremost, as, as truly a pandemic and, and I don't want to say a medical crisis, um, as it overwhelms um, our hospitals and, and frontline caregivers, um, you know, that's, that's part of what we're trying to manage right now for better, for worse in the United States and around the world. Uh, but the bottom line is that until there's uh, better testing or a vaccine, uh, you know, the those who are immune compromised are at greatest risk and overwhelming the system is, is a secondary risk. I think the economic fallout right now to not having been fully prepared um, we're feeling the financial impact of as the world literally comes um, to a halt in, in, in ways we've never seen before and we've never really been prepared for before because you know the way, the way our financial and economic system has been built, it's much more global. Um, and because of technology, um, a lot of companies manage inventories uh, so that they don't tie up capital. Um, and as a result, that makes, makes the system, when you have a global problem, really freeze up. Um, but to answer, answer your question, yes, we do have a, we do have a major financial 
issue that we're dealing with. It, it doesn't seem to be fully reflected in the market because right now there's been a lot of stimulus. Right. Um, and um, the Fed has really stepped up. If, if you thought they did a lot during the great financial crisis um, in their quantitative easing, uh, what we've already seen is multiples of that, if that gives you any idea. And then you layer on top of that the stimulus that's come out of out of Washington, um, whether it's PPE or, or um, you know anything else that's being discussed, um, and and the bond buying has by the Fed has gone far beyond uh, mortgage boundaries and now has entered into corporate bonds and junk bonds, which you know. <laughs> frankly, uh, is, is just beyond comprehension on, f for me. Um, mm. So what does this mean in, in, in the long term uh, to, to, to your question about how it all ends? Um, you know, uh, we, we potentially could be paying for this for a long time. Um, and again, the animal spirits of the market are, are responding to the flood of cash that that the Fed and the Treasury have put into the system. But if those assets don't perform well or, you know, hopefully none of them default, but if it does happen, the taxpayer's on the hook. Um, and the taxpayer has to pay for it. And at some point it has to be unwound. And we never fully unwound the great financial crisis. So right. I'm not quite sure how we're going to unwind something that's multiples the size of that. Okay. Um, and I'm sort of going to shift this from an economic question to a um, more political question. Um, China, which is um, allegedly uh, recovering from this um, virus, I, it could possibly seem, seem that um this, this could be a vehicle for China to um, fully make its way onto the number one slot in terms of global superpowers. What do you think about um, China and just their, like, how they've handled this and how they're, and how they're recovering from it? Well, you know, China appears to be uh, recovering from it quite well, but I don't think we always have the full picture of what's going on in China. Exactly. Uh, they're, they're, they, you know, are less transparent now than they have been, and they were never fully transparent. So it's hard to gauge. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I just don't have uh, the information to, to make a, a, a qualified uh, statement on that. What, what, I, what, I, what I will say is the one very surprising thing um, that I've noticed is that if you look at the US dollar relative to all of the other currencies right now, the US dollar is performing incredibly well. Um, there's still a need for US dollars in, in trading. Um, right. When I say in trading, I don't mean in, in financial market trading. I mean yeah. actual commerce trading. Right. Um, and that demand is out there uh, because it, it, it is literally the world's reserve currency. Um, so I still think that 
there's demand for U.S. treasuries, there's demand for U.S. financial assets, and there's demand for the dollar, which keeps the U.S. in, in, in pretty good standing, despite the fact that we have, you know, initiated all of these policies, which in theory should, at least in my mind, undermine the dollar. Okay. Yeah. Um, very, very, very nice responses. Um, <laughs> Um, well, thank you very much, um, Mr. Zaldistani. Um, Stuart, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us at the pilot episode of The Weekly. We hope you enjoyed. We will be playing every Tuesday afternoon. So until next Tuesday, have a wonderful week.